Super glad to have you here. I hope you're, hope you're all doing well. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a moment, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, we are um, starting a new sermon series today. The, the name of the series is Gifts of the Spirit. So we are going to walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, a clear biblical teaching on how the Holy Spirit uh, empowers and gifts believers uh, in order that we might serve one another and serve the church, that the church would be built up and Christ would be exalted. And so we're going to take this journey together um, over the next six weeks. And um, I'm excited for us as a church because I believe the more that we surrender to the Holy Spirit's empowerment of who we are, um, the brighter our light of hope will shine to this community. I believe the more that you learn and submit your own life to the Holy Spirit's leadership, the more that you become uh, aware of the giftings that God has given you, that the, the more joy you will experience as you follow God's will for your life as well. And so that's our hope for this sermon series, that God would grow not only our knowledge, but um, our awareness of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives on a daily basis. And so we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and we're only going to make it through verse 3 today. Well, let's get started. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to start in verse 1 today. As Paul opens up this conversation, he lets us know clearly two things. One, what the topic of discussion is going to be, what he's writing about, but also his heart for the church. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. So we know that he's talking to Christians. He's writing a letter to the church to inform them on an understanding of spiritual gifts, how the Holy Spirit spiritually equips believers to serve. But what he's talking about here is actually even bigger than that, as he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Because the Greek word here could also be translated being spiritually minded or being a spiritual person. And so he's talking more than just about gifts. He's talking about being a Christ follower with your mind set on the things of the Spirit in such a way that you're growing into a spiritually mature person. And from there then, God will gift you to serve others. An example of this same word being used is in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1, where the, the same author, Paul, writes to the church. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught uh, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That word, you who are spiritual, it's the same word here. It could be translated either way, gifts of the spirit or being a spiritually minded person. So we back up to what Paul is talking about here uh, to the book of Romans chapter eight, where Paul talks about the difference between being a naturally minded person versus that versus being a spiritually minded person or a spiritually mature believer. In Romans chapter eight, verse five, he says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So that's a, a fleshly minded person or a worldly minded person versus 
a spiritually minded person, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we're talking about being led by the Holy Spirit of God, having our minds set on the things of God, and following in submission to the Spirit's lead in our lives to become spiritually minded people. Now, spiritual maturity is not measured by your church attendance. Being spiritually mature does not necessarily mean that you've been a Christian for a long time. You can be a Christian for decades and still not be a spiritually minded follower of Christ. You could have perfect church attendance so far this year and still not be spiritually minded. The difference is what you have your minds set on, who you're being led by, who you are submitting to. And so what Paul is saying is now concerning being spiritually minded or spiritually mature, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, okay? Now that's a pretty good translation of the Greek word, uninformed. It means to lack the knowledge of something, to be ignorant because you lack the information, not because you're dumb, just because you don't know. Okay? But it could also be translated to ignore. So it's the idea of kind of being blind to something, so therefore you ignore it, which I think is a fairly accurate description of the Holy Spirit's work in the modern-day church. So evidently, this, this struggle to understand the Holy Spirit, how he works in our lives, is not a new struggle. It existed in the first century. And so what he's saying to the church in Corinth is, listen, I don't want you to any longer to be uninformed on the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in your life. What happens in the modern day church is when the Holy Spirit is not taught with clear biblical instruction, one of two extremes tends to happen, okay? One is a complete ignoring of the Holy Spirit, okay? Holy Spirit is never mentioned, never described, never encouraged, right? And so we, we, we know, we believe that God is existent in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But beyond that, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And so it tends to happen for a church that does not teach the Holy Spirit and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit is that church tends to do what is only possible with human hands. So there's very little walking by faith, expecting God to do supernatural, expecting God to do more than what that church is capable of doing in their own strength. However, the pendulum can also swing the complete opposite direction to a church that overemphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit without biblical instruction and teaching, and then everything's about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is never mentioned, and things that aren't God are called God, and God doesn't move unless the walls shake and tongues of fire move through the room and gold dust falls out of the ceiling right, we have a Holy Spirit revival, then there's no God in the church, right, and, and what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to be ignorant on either extreme, I want you to understand who the Holy Spirit of God is, and what the Holy Spirit of God does in your life, so you'll recognize it, so that you will submit to it, and that you will, you will participate in it, and so for three chapters here, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the Apostle Paul is going to teach the church, teach us on what it means to be gifted by the Holy Spirit. So let's talk for a minute about what we know that the Holy Spirit does before we get to spiritual gifts. Okay, so 
Is that the, the first time we encounter the Holy Spirit of God when we receive a gift, or is he involved in our lives earlier than that? We know this. We know the Holy Spirit of God reveals the will of God to his people. Always in harmony, though, with the word of God and the character of God, right? And that's important. So if I'm discerning, is this the Holy Spirit prompting me to do this or that or say this or refrain from something? I can always open the Bible and find confirmation, right? If I'm, if I'm hearing something, I'm feeling a prompting, I'm wondering, is that the Holy Spirit speaking? I can always ask, well, is that the kind of thing that God says? Because I know what God says. I have his word right here. Is it consistent with his character? So I'll exaggerate the point. The Holy Spirit will never prompt you to murder your neighbor. But he will always prompt you to love your neighbor. How do we know? Because that's what God does. And the Holy Spirit is fully God. Always revealing the will of God in consistent, uh, consistently with his scriptures and in harmony with his character. We know the Holy Spirit leads sinners to salvation You did not save yourself. You didn't even lead yourself to salvation. The Holy Spirit has done that work in you. The Holy Spirit is the indwelling presence of God in the lives of believers. He eternally seals and guarantees the inheritance of the saints. He empowers believers for Christ-like living, and he equips believers with spiritual gifts. These are all things that the Holy Spirit of God is doing in us. And this is the main topic that Paul is going to be teaching on now for three chapters. Verse 2 is really helpful in understanding what Paul wants us to understand about the Holy Spirit. Because in verse 2, look at what he says. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So here's what Paul is saying. Remember he said, I don't want you to be uninformed. So I'm going to start with what you do know. Here's what you do know. You know what it was like when you used to chase after mute idols, however and wherever you were led. Now, Paul doesn't fully develop it here, but the biblical teaching on worship is this. You will always become like that which you worship. You are an image bearer. So you were created to reflect the image of whatever you worship, good or bad, that over time you will begin to look like it and reflect it in your life. I'll give you some examples from the scriptures. Uh, Psalm 115 talks about this. Talks about the worship of mute idols. Psalm 115, starting in verse four. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. What the author of Psalms is saying about idol worship is this. Idols look like they should be able to talk to us, but they can't. Right? They look like they should be able to hear us, but when we cry out to them, they can't hear us. Right? Idols look like they should have, be able to do something for us. They have hands, they have feet, but in reality, they can't deliver anything to us. They're mute idols. But then he ends by saying, verse 8, those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Now, the reality is, probably nobody walked into this room with a carved image of some deity in your pocket. Okay? But, nonetheless... 
right? We are all prone to be led by mute idols, things that make promises to us. We offer our allegiance to these things, and in the end, they don't deliver. And over time, we begin to look like them. I'll give you some examples. If you worship your children, I can tell. Look at, look, just show me your calendar and show me your monthly budget. Show me how you spend all your time. Show me what rules your family. And your whole household will begin to look like your children are deities. But the same thing is true of your career. If you worship your work, you worship your career, just let me look at your calendar for a minute and I bet I can tell, right? Because of what you're willing to give up to get that thing you're chasing after. And your life will begin to look like the idol you worship, right? So that's the biblical principle here that Paul is talking about when he says, this is what you know. You know what it's like to worship mute idols and to chase after them. However you were led. And he's going to contrast that with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the spirit of the living God, and he hears, he sees, he speaks, he moves we worship a God who is alive not a deaf dumb mute idol and so the Holy Spirit of God is leading us somewhere prompting us to move somewhere calling us in a direction and when we worship him he makes us like him the Holy Spirit of God is always listen to me always leading you to become more like Jesus, always. If ever you're discerning the Holy Spirit of God is leading me somewhere that is not leading me towards Christ's likeness, beware, you may be following a mute idol. The Holy Spirit of God is always leading you to become more like Christ. The Holy Spirit of God leads us away from our idols and against the grain of what we think or want and conforms our hearts to the heart of God so that we want what he wants and we see the world the way he sees the world and we love one another the same way he loves us. We become like him. And that is what it means to follow the Holy Spirit in your life. Now verse three is where I think Paul is really trying to get us to when he when he says, therefore, so here's the point of the first three verses. Therefore, I want you to what? Understand. Do you remember what he said at the very beginning? I don't want you to be ignorant anymore. So here's what I want you to understand, verse three. That no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe what Paul is doing here is he's exaggerating the point and making it super simple for simple-minded people like me so that we won't miss his point, right? He's talking about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, either leading us towards Christ or away from Christ. It's one or the other. It shouldn't be ambiguous. It shouldn't be gray, Right? We should know what, if, if what I'm discerning on the inside is leading me towards what is good, what is holy, what is right, what is Christ-like. It's the Holy Spirit of God. However, if it's leading me away from Christ-likeness, it is never the Holy Spirit of God. 
Now, there's an important um, part of what I think Paul is getting at here that he actually already covered in chapters 1 and 2. So if we back up in 1 Corinthians to chapter 1 and 2, Paul says some really helpful things to us. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, here's what he says about the gospel. He says, for the word of the cross, which is also a way of describing the gospel, is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does he mean that the gospel is foolishness or folly to those who are perishing? What he's saying is to somebody who has their mind set on the things of the world rather than the things of God, the gospel will sound incredibly foolish. What's foolish about the gospel? Well, I'll give you a few things that I think are foolish about the gospel, and then I'll tell you why I believe it. Here's what's foolish about the gospel. That God, the sovereign creator of the universe, who stands in authority over everything that is and has ever been and will ever be, chooses by his own will to lovingly send his son to the earth to die for sinners like us. Recipients who don't deserve it, and listen to this, and never asked for it. Right? God didn't send his son to the earth because the people of earth were sitting there in their calamity saying, oh God, if you would just send your son to the earth, we would have hope and peace and restoration. Right? They weren't even asking for it. Matter of fact, they despised Jesus. You know that, right? Jesus going to the cross was being rejected by man. And so it's foolish that God in his sovereignty and his wisdom would choose to subject his son his only son, the primary object of his love to that kind of abuse. It's foolish to an unbelieving world. We just sang about how I believe in God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. To an unbelieving person, that sounds foolish. I mean, I could go on about the foolishness of the gospel. The gospel is folly to those who are perishing. Here's my question. How in the world did the church ever survive with a foolish message? Preaching a foolish gospel? And I think Paul is somewhat baffled by this as well, but he has an answer. If you go right into the next chapter, chapter two, he even talks about it. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter two. I'll read one through five. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, which is the gospel, with lofty speech or wisdom. So you say, hey, remember when I preached this foolish gospel to you? I didn't try to beef it up. I didn't try to make it real witty. I didn't try to sell you on it. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at verse three. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. So how in the world did the church ever survive preaching a foolish gospel, not dressed up with fancy or witty or smart words? Paul tells us. So, he says, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. How do you understand the gospel? The Holy Spirit of God opens your eyes to see it and to understand it. 
that's how you understand the gospel. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. You, you with me? It's not like we walk ourselves into salvation and then we get saved in our own strength just awaiting the day that God will then give us his spirit so we can start doing some cool churchy stuff. Paul says, no, the church wouldn't even exist today if the Holy Spirit of God was not actively working to lead sinners to salvation. Sinners don't chase after a foolish gospel. It's because the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, our hearts, our minds. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. That's the same word we were talking about. Spiritually minded, spiritually mature. That word also gets translated in 1 Corinthians 12:1 into spiritual gifts. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so what Paul is saying is there's a, there's a, there's a significant difference between being led by the Holy Spirit versus being led by your flesh. Right? Anybody who says Jesus is cursed, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, I don't want to exalt Jesus, is not being led by the Holy Spirit of God. However, at the same time, nobody who says Jesus is Lord can do so without the Holy Spirit's help. Let's think about that phrase, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? On a personal level, it's a declaration of submission, isn't it? Because it means Jesus is my Lord. Like I submit to him, I bow down to him. Jesus is Lord. On a, on a co corporate level, on a church level, if we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying as a church, we bow down to him. We submit to his leadership in our church. It's also a statement of worship and exaltation, isn't it? Jesus is Lord. We exalt his name high above the heavens. Lord, you reign. This exaltation, so it's a, it's a, it's a declaration of submission and it's a declaration of worship, isn't it? And so we can't even declare the good news of the gospel without the Holy Spirit working in us. We can't exalt the name of Christ and worship God without the Holy Spirit of God working in us. It's the Holy Spirit of God that opens the ears of those who hear the gospel that they might believe, and the Holy Spirit begins his work in us with salvation and then leads us to, towards this supernatural outworking of salvation that manifests or reveals itself in spiritual giftings. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But here's what Paul wants us to understand. First things first. Salvation, submission to the Lordship of Jesus, first. You can't just jump to spiritual gifts. Right? Because my spiritual giftings should do two things. One, should display my submission to his lordship and should all serve as a declaration of worship. I want him to be exalted through what I'm doing. Spiritual gifts are not given to me to exalt myself or to carry out my own ambitions, right? Spiritual gifts are given to you and to me to carry out his ambitions, to fulfill his will on earth, not my own. One of the mistakes we make with the Holy Spirit of God is we treat God like a genie in a bottle. We want God to show up and to do miraculous things, powerful things, specifically though, as we see fit. 
God, move, reign, be powerful in this situation. And oh, by the way, here's how I want you to work it out. That's not submitting to the lordship of Jesus, is it? Be powerful in my life today. Do big things through my life today. Help, help me to be more successful at my job. That's not the ambition of the Holy Spirit to make you successful at your job and to empower you to chase after mute idols. You, you know that, right? I mean, Paul is clearly and simply showing that to us. Don't call on the Holy Spirit of God to move and to fill you and to carry out your ambitions. He never will. There's a simple illustration that I use um, sometimes in teaching on how the Holy Spirit works and how submission works. Um, and it has to do with, with my boys. You guys know I have two boys, and, and right now we're in, in, in baseball season, so they both play baseball, which is nice for me in two ways. One, when I spend time with one, I can spend time with the other, right? So doing the same thing, so we go outside and play ball. And the other part of that is very therapeutic because God gives me permission to take a rock that's covered in leather and take a bat and just hit it at them, right? And because they're boys, they're like, hit it harder. I'm like, yeah, okay, we can do this. Pow, and I'm thinking about the back talk and being disrespectful and the rest of the day and the, these balls are zinging by and they're like, whoa, dad, take it easy. Like, you said you wanted harder. Well, one of the things that they love about playing baseball in the yard is um, they love uh, when we do fly balls. This is where you hit the ball way up in the air and they position themselves underneath it and try to catch it without it hitting them in the face. And um, so um, it's a lot of fun, but because that's what they want to do, I always save it for last, right? I always say, okay, let's do all of our infield drills do the stuff we need to work on, and then we'll do fly balls at the end. So we get to the end, like, Dad, let's do fly balls. And so they go out in the yard, and, and I grab the fun go and a ball and a glove, and I start just whacking balls up in the air, and they're running and tripping and falling and catching balls, right? Because, again, because they're boys, and they're never satisfied with, uh, you know, with, with well enough, and they're always trying to outdo each other, right? They're like, Dad, scoot back. Hit it further. Hit it higher. And I scoot back, and they scoot back. And before you know it, I'm up against the house, and they're out in the street, right? And it's we get this long shot, fly balls, boom, we're hitting it up in the air. Now, we live kind of in a quiet neighborhood, end of a cul-de-sac, so like rarely is there any traffic out there. Uh, so oftentimes we'll just, we'll hit fly balls for 20, 30 minutes. But what they're so focused on, right, when I'm hitting fly balls is the fly ball and how much fun they're having and who can outdo the one another. But they're not thinking about traffic, right? That's not their job, that's my job, right? Because I'm not only called by God to invest in them and to spend time with them, I'm also called to protect them and to look out for danger and to lead them away from danger. So as I'm hitting fly balls, I'm also kind of watching the street looking for traffic. And so occasionally it happens where we're out there and the mailman's coming by or the neighbor's coming home and a car comes down our street and they're oblivious. And so my job is to stop the game and to call them out of the street, right? To call them away from danger. But like a lot of us, they want one more ball. Just one more ball. Hit me one more. Right? And so my job as a loving, good father is not to participate in what they're asking me to do and even what they enjoy doing, but in that moment, my role changes, doesn't it? Now my job as a protector, as someone who's, who's looking out for them, who's shepherding their hearts, is to do what? To lovingly call them out of the street. And, to, and for them to stand there in the street and neglect my instructions, right, is, is a rebellious heart towards their father. And what they're saying is, throw me the ball. I wanna do what I wanna do right now. I don't wanna submit to what you're calling me to do, right? I, I like it better when we're playing ball. I like it better when you're throw, you know, hitting balls to me and this is what I enjoy doing. I don't enjoy the yard. You tracking with me? 
and the Christ follower who's standing in the street in harm's way saying, God, throw me the ball, play with me, throw me the ball, give me some spiritual giftings, gets real frustrated when the only thing that God the Father says back is, get out of the street. So many times, listen church, this may be you today, I'm certainly not saying it is, but I want you to at least consider it. So many times, we get in a position in our life where we feel like we haven't heard from the Holy Spirit in a long time. But you know what the truth is? It's not that God isn't speaking to you, it's just that he's not saying what you want him to hear. He's speaking. And what he's saying to you is get out of the street. Get away from the danger. I will, I will fill you with my spirit and give you gifts, but that's not what you need right now. One of the hallmarks of a spiritually minded person is repentance. The Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. And if you're standing in the street in rebellion to God's voice, he's not gonna play ball with you. And and you may think, you may interpret that as God doesn't love me, he's far away, he's not speaking to me. But God's saying, I am speaking to you. You're just not hearing what I'm saying. You don't wanna hear what I'm saying because I'm calling you to turn away from the sin in your life, what is killing you and leading you towards destruction. And I'm calling you into the yard. It's not what you wanna do, but I'm calling you into safety. I'm calling you into righteousness. I'm calling you into holiness. I'm calling you to what is good. And we forget that our loving Father not only enjoys spending time with us, but he's also our protector. And the Holy Spirit always leads us away from sin and towards righteousness. And so I think, quite simply, this is what Paul is saying. The message is not confusing. No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. If that's you, if the declaration of your life is, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, then don't expect the Holy Spirit of God to be working in your life. He's not going to endorse that. However, if you want to see the Holy Spirit released in your life, working powerfully, equipping you with spiritual gifts, your declaration must be, Jesus is Lord. That declaration exalts Christ as your object of worship, and it's also a declaration of submission that you're ready to follow wherever he leads. And when he says, get out of the street, you get out of the street. You with me? First things first, the Holy Spirit of God leads you to salvation first. To salvation, away from sin, and he will also equip you and gift you to serve. And we're gonna spend the next five weeks talking about the gifts and which what the gifts look like and how we, how we use these gifts to serve one another and build up the church. But unless the supernatural work of salvation has taken place in your life, there will be no supernatural gifting. God is not a genie in the bottle. He is a loving father who desires to walk with you and to lead you and to call you away from sin and into righteousness. I wanna end here today and the reality is that we all come from a lot of different backgrounds. And so you've, you potentially have had church experiences that look like one of the extremes. Either there was no mention of the Holy Spirit, no instruction, or everything was the Holy Spirit. And there was no gospel and no, no word of God being taught and everything's just a little bit wacky. Hey, listen, God is calling us into a, to be a church that is filled with and led by the Holy Spirit of God. But that can't happen until you first as an individual are getting there. Until you're submitting your life to his lordship. 
maybe you're here today and like you're a brand new Christian, you've never been taught on the Holy Spirit. I'm so, I'm so excited for you to be a part of this series. I really am. I'm so excited about you getting to learn how, how, how all this works. But you know what the truth is? There's probably some folks in here who have been Christians for like years and have yet to have a solid biblical teaching on the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm so excited about what God's gonna do in your life as well. But if you're here today and you're feeling far from God, like he's not speaking to you and you're realizing right now, what I've been doing is I've been asking God to endorse my rebellion by staying in the street. Maybe today being led by the Holy Spirit is to turn in repentance from your sin and to turn towards Christ. Or maybe potentially you're even here today and you've never taken that step of faith in the first place. Listen, today is your day. If we wanna be a church led by the Holy Spirit, then whatever he's spoken to you today, your response will be, Jesus is Lord, let's do this. That's what it looks like. However God has spoken to you and prompted you today to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, begins with saying, Jesus is my Lord, so let's do this. Even if I'm nervous or scared, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it sounds hard, because he's my Lord, let's do this. So I'm gonna ask our worship team to come forward and our prayer partners to come forward as well. But more importantly, I'm gonna ask you to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit today. Rather than being led led astray by mute idols towards destruction, that you would be led by the Holy Spirit of God towards righteousness and Christ-likeness and salvation. Let's pray together and we'll respond. Um, Father, we're so thankful that you give to us your presence. Father, that you give to us your Holy Spirit. Nothing about that makes sense. Why would a holy, righteous God want to dwell within sinful, fallen creatures like us. Father, we recognize today that God, apart from your Holy Spirit working in us, God, we have no hope. We desperately need your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear, to give us hearts ready to exalt Jesus and to bow in submission to his lordship. Father, I pray you would exalt yourself in each one of our lives individually and that together you would do this beautiful corporate work in our church, that we would become a people led by the Spirit. So God, as you speak to us and move in our midst now, Father, I pray you would give us the faith to follow. We pray all this in Jesus' name.